We didn't get very far last week in it, not as far as I had hoped, but that's okay. Last week we looked at really just two things, and, and really they were the, the, the takeaways, you know, do I love God, do I love God, and the exhortation really to consider the discipline of the Lord in your life, uh, in your life, and how you've seen that bear out in the past in Scripture, and how you've seen that bear out in history. Um, you know, think think of the think of the fullness of, of the question: Do I love God? Do I do I love God? Do I? It it, it entails it, it it entails your affection. Do I desire God? Do I really? Do I thirst after God? As the heart longs for water, as the deer longs for water, the deer that's bounding through the mountains. And if I do, if I go, oh yeah, I do have an affection for God. Do I have an affection? Do I have a desire to obey? Am I, if, and and you, 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 can't, you can't have the one without the other. You can't. And in light of persecutions, uh, far and nearer uh, am I going to betray that love when the pressure is put on us or will we have the boldness of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego um, if threatened with the furnace um, if, if this isn't something you've thought about much or considered uh, I'm going to throw three books your way uh, for your uh, consideration, if you're a reader, if you're not a reader, I still throw them your way. Uh, the one is the men, the one that the men are going through right now, uh, by by John Piper, Desiring God, um, really radical, um, as, as far as my thinking was concerned. Uh, another is a, a well, the other two are classics. And, and really do affect how you look to the Lord your God. One is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Um, uh, a, a, just a great, great book. And on, as, a, as a Christian, do I know the Lord my God? And the last one is, is in a lot of ways, a love, uh, a letter of love, almost uh, Song of Solomon-esque uh, by A.W. Tozer uh, called The Pursuit of God. Um, just really shook me in my, you know, my cerebral thinking of God and made it more of a, an emotional uh, situation or a, 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 a emotional in, my, in the relationship. Uh, before we get into Deuteronomy 31, I, I just want to emphasize this just by looking at a Psalm of David and actually not all of the Psalm. Turn to Psalm 63. If you would, here is, you know, it says a Psalm of David. This is a man who is passionate for the living God. Um, Olivia, would you read verses one and two, please? My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Uh, Elaine, would you do three and four, please? Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Okay, I, we, could, we could unpack this for weeks, really, this, this passion and this love. Your steadfast love is better than life. Really? Do you believe that? Really? Can you say that? 
Do you go, oh yes, God, this is true. Arnold, five and six. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in which the watches of the night for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Great. My soul will be satisfied. Satisfied with what? God. With God. My soul will be satisfied. How satisfied? As with man, like you just feasted. Like you had, like you had a meal like no other meal. I mean, think think back in your life. I'm sure there are a few meals where you go, holy cow, that was so good. That was like the best of the best. Oh, that we could go back and eat that over and over again. Oh, that we could have the celebrations, perhaps, that went with that. And that is God to David. You know, I commend that psalm to you for your meditation. Uh, psalm 63. What a, what a beautiful example of loving the Lord your God. One who is passionate. And if that isn't me, why isn't that me? Why is that not me? Should that be me? And, and, and my exhortation to you is yes, it should. Yes, it should. Um, to, consider, to consider the discipline of the Lord. The Lord's discipline is good. It is always good. It is always right. It is always just. It is always right. It is always just. If I'm getting bucky... If I'm kicking against the goads, then it's me. It is me pulling against the yoke, pulling against the leash, straining against the leash. If I would walk at heel, I would feel no yoke. Because it would be my delight to walk by my master's side. That was last week. This week... Verses 8 through 12. Emma, let's see if nothing wacky. Uh, would you read Deuteronomy? We're back in Deuteronomy. Sorry. Bookmarks are great. Deuteronomy 11, verses 8 through 12. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Good. Do you hear a redundancy in here? There's the, the, as we've gone through the first 12 chapters of Deuteronomy, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I want you to go, man, I thought, didn't we cover this like just a chapter or two ago? Notice in verse 8, he says, you shall therefore keep the whole commandment. Any, any translation have something different than that? Than the whole commandment? Okay, why, why, why that qualifier? Oh, yeah. Well, that one was meant for, or that, you know, I'm going to try, I'm going to do, and, and there are some things that apply, for example, just to the Levites that don't necessarily apply to all of Israel. And so we have to read things in context, and that's important. But I ought not be looking at God's law to find out how I can circumvent it, but uphold it. Uphold it. That's just our nature. So the, the whole commandment, the whole, all of God's word, saint, 
all of God's word to us. All of God's word should be food for us because it ultimately reveals the living God to us. We know that the discipline of the Lord ultimately should compel us to obedience. And this obedience is going to make us strong. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today that you may be strong. Obedience to God's commandments makes Israel strong. Um, you know, this is, again, considering the discipline in keeping that commandments, as I consistently do this, should it become easier? Yes. Yeah. You know, if you start out going, oh, okay, I'm going to start doing push-ups. Well, good luck doing 10. Okay? But it's not going to be long before you're doing 15. And, and pretty soon you're going to be doing 25. Um, Children learn discipline by going near the stove. Maybe they, they touched a hot pan on the stove. I mean, are they going to go back and do it again? Depends on the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and what's in the tray? Hopefully not. You know, hopefully go, that's bad, okay? You know, mom might, might have a wild-eyed fit as the child gets close, and still the child's going to maybe not hear the voice of their mom. But, man, if they get burned... Hopefully they will learn that that is not something you ever want to grab again. Uh, there, uh, Corbin, you know, playing the playing the piano. I sit down and I plink out the melody sometimes before he comes on a song, and I, I got no rhythm. I don't know what the little dots mean. I have some idea, but getting the actual, uh, you know, the line goes. I, I don't know that, but he, he just sits down and does this. It's like, how's he do that? Practice, practice. And so the discipline of the Lord as we do those things that God commands us to do, especially in Christ, especially in this love relationship, not out of uh, pharisaical, meticulous keeping. And... If we are stronger, ought that make us more effective in God's hand? Yeah. Yeah, do, do you want a pastor who studies the Word of God? Or do you want a pastor who goes, okay, let's open it up and let me wing it? Yeah, no. Yeah, isn't it? But that's that's how some people preach. You know, they aren't studied. But a man who is studied in the Word of God, who is trained in the Word of God, is gonna even even on the fly going to as as in the middle of a sermon draw something from somewhere else within God's word to apply to that point. Do you want to cut with a sharp knife or a dull knife? You know, what's, what's going to happen if you're cutting with a dull knife? More work? You could really mess up the bread, you know? You know? If you've cut, cut with something that's not proper for the tool, you go, oh man, I just made a mess of that. And the likelihood of your injury is greater with a dull blade because of the more force that you're applying. So, and this is, this is all true with regard to our following after the Lord, our God. And the blessing not only is, is a strengthening of the people, uh, uh, but there's a purpose behind the strengthening. It is going in ultimately to take possession of the land. God, has a, God had a purpose for Israel. What is the purpose? To go take care of Canaan, to clean out Canaan, and to give them that land. 
But to do so, they had to be obedient to, to do that. God has a purpose for them, and the strength that they were going to have would be in their obedience, would come via their obedience. So in keeping that, the whole commandment, they are strengthened for a purpose, and ultimately in verse 9 we see again this blessing reiterated. What is the consequence of this obedience? A long life in the land that God promised to them. And in verses, in, in verse, it really starts in verse 9, verses 9 through 12, um, we see really how is Canaan different from Egypt. Let your eyes scan those verses and how contrast the I mean, difference. You said it right at the end. Um, yeah, the eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it. So he's always watching it. He's always caring for it. So it's probably healthy, full of vegetation. Egypt is arid and dry, irrigated. Canaan is just overflowing with water. Egypt is flat. It's flat. And it is. It's, you know, it's right up there in the northeast corner of the Sahara Desert. There's not much there except along the Nile. Uh, it's like flying over southern Oklahoma. You know, I um, teach map making, low level map making <coughs> to students. And, you know, there's creeks. There's all kinds of creeks on the map. In Oklahoma, I said, are those going to show up? Ask the students. No, no, no. They go, oh, yeah, it is going to show up. You're not going to see any water, but you will see trees. You'll see trees along all of the creeks on the maps because where there is water, there will be the Psalm 1 trees that are taking advantage of what water uh, there is there. But God's land. Now, does it strike you odd at all that God has a land that he looks to? I mean, think, think of scripture. How does land play out as, as you think about scripture, as you think about God's covenant? It's all his. Okay, it is all his. That's correct. part of it out though specifically for his people I think at the Garden of Eden set it out for Adam and Eve so that they could enjoy it very good did the Garden of Eden cover the whole earth no it didn't that was the place where he put man and woman there initially would they have grown beyond I don't know I, you know to surmise oh what, did, what if the fall had not happened you know it all be cramped through the bushes right um, but man was created ultimately to tend. So, yeah, God had a land set aside even then. What else? What, what other parts of land in Scripture? Or Exile land. Okay. Okay, you, you are being thrust out of the land I have given you. <coughs> and you're going to lands perhaps that are hostile. Um, there was a place where he would make his name, God says. A place where I will set up my name. We'll talk about this next week. And this is the place you are to go and worship. Can you, could you worship where you wanted to if you were a Jew? No, no you couldn't. You couldn't. There was one place, Jerusalem, where you were to go. That is where the temple would be that is where you were to go and sacrifice so we see land is prominent within here in this covenant is there going to be a new jerusalem yes there is 
and it's going to be spectacular and wonderful. And before that time, there's going to be a time where Christ is reigning on the earth from Jerusalem, Scripture says. If you do this, you know, the, the land uh, flowing with milk and honey, it's not like Egypt that, again, in verse 10, you had to work it. But the land you are going to, verse 11, is a land of hills and valleys which drinks the water by the rain, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. God care, man, God's got a place for his people already set aside that they're not going to have to work hard for when they're in it. What a blessing for them. But we see here that Israel's response to God is going to play into how this blessing comes to them. Verses 13 through 15, Jeremy. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, you will give the rain for your land in its season the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. If you will obey. What is the consequence of their disobedience? Or let me, let me rephrase that, since we're not talking disobedience yet. What is the consequence of their obedience? To what? Okay. Yes? Yes? We gotta understand that when I do well, it isn't merely a blessing to myself. Who is blessed if I do well? And and, and I don't mean press. I don't. I don't mean. I don't mean if I do well here. I don't mean if I do well in climbing the corporate ladder. Who's blessed if I do well here? God's blessed. God's honored that way. Yeah. You know, those, those who I touch, hopefully you guys are blessed. And as you follow after God, so I am blessed by you. You know, think of the body. Again, think, think of the body of Christ. I'm just, I'm not going to work out my right arm, but the rest of my body, I'm going to work out. Well, man, the right arm's just going to be, it's going to come along for the ride. Everything else has to do the work of the right arm because the right arm's just not working. I don't want to. I'm tired. I'd rather, I'd rather Netflix binge or, or whatever. You know, I'd rather not get up. I'd rather not do this or that. I'd rather not be in God's word. Well, in the church then, man, you are, you are not what you could be. Is it my desire to serve or to be served? They're in the body of Christ. So, man, there are there are all kinds of blessings that come as we are obedient to what God calls us to here. And we see this fleshed out in Israel. But these principles, a lot of these principles don't just sit in Israel east of the Jordan River. 
They apply to us on Ethan Travis as well. 16 and 17. Caleb, would you read uh, verses 16 and 17 of 11? Take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. How is it that we are deceived? It says, take care lest you be deceived. By our sinful hearts. Okay. That's a, that's a good churchy answer. But what's that mean? Well, I mean, our heart's always rebellious. And it's like, I don't want to do that. I want to go over here where this looks better. Okay. We got all this nice stuff. Good. Kids are also deceived when you don't um, guard yourself. Or you, don't, you don't put truth in yourself. And you just ignore truth. What must I do to be deceived? Or what must I not do to be deceived? Bring down your guard. <clears throat> okay. Guard against what? What am I guarding? People who Lord says to keep that commandment always. Okay. So when I fail to do that, my guard is strong. Okay, good. And, and what I do not, what I see or do or come towards me, if I don't hold that captive. So if I see this over here being enticed by something else. If I see this present over here. And my eye goes this way. From what am I going away? From the Lord. Yes. I am, I am being enticed away, not from obedience, not from the commandment per se. I am being enticed away from God. I am being enticed away from the truth to be deceived. To go that this, this thing looks better over here. That Marie was talking about. That Caleb was talking about. My heart. You know in the world. You think of 1 John. You know the pride of the eyes. The uh, pride of life. Less of the flesh. Less of the eyes and the pride of life. Yeah. Thank you. I mean all of those things are going to pull. This is, this is going to happen. Unless. I am, if I have, a, if I have a, a battle mindset, you know, how often is, are those three things trying to pull you this way? All the time. Every single minute. All, all the time. Satan wants to crush you and break you. And wants you to be deceived. And he's going to use all of those things to deceive. He's going to use good things. Good things to entice you. Work is a good thing. Work is a very good thing. Not at the expense of the living God. Okay? And there are, there are priorities under the sun as well that are good. And, you know, I, if I start prioritizing some things over other things, that if, if God is not first, having God first is really going to help us order all of these other things. I've got to know God. I have to know his truth. I have to have it in me daily to feed on it, to guard my heart that I not be deceived. When you wake up, 
right now. You know, I don't know when, when the enemy's going to come in the foxhole. But when I wake up, i got to be ready. God, help me. Right now, I need you. Help me be ready. Let your word be present in my mind. This is why being in God's word in the morning is, is good. Is a good thing. If you can. If I, notice, if I don't serve him from verse 13, I will turn aside and I will serve something else. Okay, this, this is huge. If you are not serving God, you are serving something else. If you are not loving God, if he is not primary, if, if his love, your love for him doesn't overflow in your love for everything else. You are serving something else. And, and what does that invite? That's a powerful point. Because like, people want to say, well, they're not doing this, they're not doing that, but we're created to worship. We're always worshiping something and saying no, or maybe later you're saying yes to something. So if I am not, if I do begin serving other gods, is that a big deal? What does that invite? Verse 17. The anger of Consequences. The will be kindled against you. Okay. And will shut up the heavens. The anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. What is what is anger? Is anger a good thing? What causes what causes anger? Frustration or something injustice. you dislike. Okay, and and, and injustice. Or I think perceived injustice. Okay. Okay. Burning displeasure. Not getting what you want. Okay. Can can cause anger. But when it's God, you know, it is it is a it is a proper response to betrayal and unrighteousness. It is a proper response to betrayal and unrighteousness. You know, for, for God to be angry is right. For God to be impassive about rebellion and unrighteousness, well, he's not much. You know, he's very bland mashed potatoes. You know, he's oatmeal without any stuff in it. It's just, yeah. He's not much of a God. Well, I mean, you can all, I mean, if he's like that, you can't even consider him a God because you can't consider him the God. Right. Well, because, I mean, if he's not protecting the truth, and he's not getting angry about when you disobey, then we could, like, then basically he doesn't care what we do. Yeah. Why, why is man's anger usually not very good? Why is it spoken against pretty much 
like 95% of the discussions of anger amongst men is not good. To be angry is not itself a sin. To be angry, I mean, if somebody wrongs you, that it's a natural response. It is a very natural response. Now, how that manifests itself is important. That's a whole other discussion. It's a whole other discussion. But wrath and malice and bitterness, those aren't, those aren't right responses explosive responses, dishes thrown, tantrums, jaws set. Probably not right responses. There. But we see here that there, there is a consequence. God's right, proper anger will be kindled against you for disobedience. God disciplines those he loves. There is displeasure. Yes, God, when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ in my justification. There is still displeasure in my disobedience, which is why there is discipline. Because he desires for me to be obedient and righteous and follow after the way of Christ. An angry God. Yeah. The anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. Whoa. And there's, there's a consequence. And this is true for us. There is a consequence to our sin. There is a consequence to our disobedience and our rebellion. For Israel, the land was going to go. But I mean, you can you can pick your sin and go. Okay, let me let me just imagine this sin and start trickling down the consequences thereof. Sometimes those ripples are not going to abate for a very long time, years upon years, generations perhaps upon generations. play on words there with the word kindled the thing of a fire it's you're starting that anger it's interesting that Moses says like God will take the land from you so it's not direct to the people so is it as they progressively get worse and worse and worse that you fire and you see this you see this played out in judges as you know the, the people don't drive the people out. They start to follow after the bales and they become a thorn and they cry and repent and God comes in. They cry and repent and God comes in and still Israel is a nation until finally, whoa, I'm done with you in 722. Done with Israel. In 586, he's done with Judah. Exile for all of you. So the land, and so... Again, the land, another interesting part of the land is so that the land would rest and enjoy its Sabbaths uh, as well. So he goes from there in, in verse 18, uh, 18 through 20. Caleb, if I, yeah, I had you read. David, 18 to 20, please. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, taking, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, we'll stop right there. Have we heard this before? Here, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Almost, almost verbatim. Why are we covering it again? Because it's important, and we forget it. 
learned from this? I mean, the Old Testament, Paul tells, I mentioned this last week probably, that the Old Testament was giving, given to us for our instruction. As I told my sons, as I tell my daughters, you can always serve as a bad example. Don't be me. Okay, don't be me. Learn from me that you may not go this way. It's not good. Don't do this. And he says, lay up these words, other translations. Verse 18. If something is fixed, it ain't moving. It is fixed in place. It's bolted twice. Once it's going to swing around, twice it ain't moving. It's fixed. Lay up these words. You know, stack them in your heart. Store them. The New American Standard, the word is impress them. Give them their due weight, the due importance. How much weight then? How much, how much weight should we give this? That's, okay, those, that's our words. That is, yeah, we go, yeah, God's word should have top priority. Yeah. We'll say it. We say it. But does it? But does it? Teach them to your children. Lay them in your heart and in your soul. And teach them to your children. As a natural outflow of you. It is a natural outflow of you. And again, God gives a godly consequence. Verse 21, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied. God wants to bless us. God wants to bless his children. And in their walking at heel, they will be richly blessed. If they break the leash, if they jump the fence, they are going to suffer the consequences. As long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this command that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, holding fast to him, great picture words, then the Lord will drive out these nations before you and will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon, to the Lebanon, and from the river, the river Euphrates to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. Can one man strike fear in the many? Yeah. yeah, but it's not the man's doing. Unless that man is the living God. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am he. And everybody hit the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane. But so God can do. He can make ten men chase a hundred. He can. He has. He, he has done that. So we can have no fear. We can have confidence when we are beset. If God wishes to use us to strike fear into others, then he will. But we must hold fast in confidence. Let us not cower before men. No one shall be able to stand against you. God's eternal vow, his, our love relationship with him. And so we see in the final verses of, of chapter 11 
laid before Israel and really laid before you today a choice. Today a choice is laid out. I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you to go after other gods that you have not known. There it is. The gospel message goes out to people. And we know, is, is God sovereign? Yes. Yes. Must, must, must man make a choice? Yes. Absolutely. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. Eh, nah. Or yes, absolutely. Yes. And we go, why are they coming? Because God moved in their heart to respond. But still, they had to respond. And that response is of God. But that response is still there. And so today, for believers and unbelievers, the choice goes out. And for believers, for those who believe in the living God, it is, do you really believe? Do you really love him? Or are you playing the game? Do I hunger and thirst after him? Again, going back to last week. Do I love him? And I'll, I'll pick up with Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim as, as we go into next week. Because it, 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 it looks at how am I going to worship God? How am I going to worship God? I worship him as he asks be worshipped I don't worship him as I feel like in the ways that I think would be right because I would be an idolater so the 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 takeaways Really consider, let me exhort you and encourage you to consider your love for God. And if you're, if you're thinking in your heart or your mind, man, I, I don't know. Please don't sit on it. But talk. Talk to someone about that. That somebody might come alongside you and exhort you and encourage you. That is the purpose of the body of Christ. To, to help perhaps even cultivate and fan into flame a desire for his word. And if, if you do, if you do desire God and his word... I invite you also to consider how is that fleshing out in your life? If you say that, if you do that, if I say, yes, I love the Lord and yes, I am in his word and your life is bereft of any example of that, you go, whoa, something's not happening. You know, the connection is not being made to what you're doing over here and what happens when you walk out of that quiet time with Christ. You know, the choice that we make is not here. It's not now. It's not December 31st when I'm going to, oh, I'm going to make a resolution. I'm going to do this. No, it is, the battle is always, always. And this is why over and over and over again, scripture is, is redundant. Because the battle is moment by moment. Any thoughts on this? 
in this section. You know, and I would, even, I would even say, you know, if I'm walking with Christ, if I'm looking at the Lord, if I'm passionate about Christ and I'm with him, that's not going to solve everything either. Judas walked with Christ for three years, was with him face to face, day by day. And it is only in, in man, just grab hold, man. grab hold and don't let go. What else? So you mentioned the word dread, which is used in, in Genesis for the animals. I would put dread in them so that they fear you. They fear, they will fear man. Yeah. And maybe it was you who mentioned the Billy Graham, the president, and some other golf pro. Oh, yeah. And the golf pro he? had dread. Yeah. Because Billy Graham was there. Despised him. 